the scripture passage for today, Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you will not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Good to be back with you, friends, online, and all of those of you making our tech look way better than a church our size. <laughs> Thank you. So I don't think that you think here that you need prayer less than Jesus. But I'm concerned that all of us act like we do. I'm concerned that if we saw one another's calendar and knew even a little bit, a little bit, about how we pray. I wonder if we couldn't help but come to the conclusion that we don't actually think we need prayer as much as Jesus so obviously and desperately needed prayer. Uh, for some of you, you study the Bible very diligently, and you know this. Um, we only know about 50-ish days of Jesus' life. So you take all four Gospels, um, 
and you attempt to, to overlap them as best you can, which is very easy with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called the synoptic gospels, and then with John, it becomes a little bit more challenging. Um, John Calvin said that the gospel of John is the key that unlocks Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's just a little hint for you. If you've ever been troubled by Matthew, Mark, and Luke's because you need John. Anyway, line those all up. We have about 50-ish days, probably a little north of 50, of Jesus. How many times do we see him both pray, praying fervently? How often does he teach on prayer? How often does he encourage the disciples to pray? How often does he tell a parable to get our attention and help us understand more about prayer? If you pray as earnestly and honestly for yourself and for others, I'm going to say just, it's pretty arbitrary, three times a week, then this sermon will pretty much just encourage you. I'll say it again. If you pray as earnestly and honestly as Jesus does in this passage, for yourself and for others, because Jesus is talking mostly about his anxiety over his mission. If you do that two to three times a week, then this sermon is going to mostly encourage you. Hopefully there will be some things you can learn about it. For most of us, we need to remember this and lean into it. Jesus had anxiety over his mission, and so do we. We know that there are good things for us to do that are going to sting. We know that we need help resisting temptation, Jesus' encouragement to the disciples. And this is a little bit of a reset on this series for the the entire um, semester. I still think in terms of semesters, partly because of how we do outdoor worship. But anyway, for the entire semester, just going to go with it. We've been talking about kingdom practices, and what we're doing is I'm not exegeting the text, which is what I do most Sundays. We go through a book of the Bible in order, Um, but I'm, I'm exegeting a text with the purpose of encouraging you to adopt and enjoy kingdom practices. And I'm very deliberately not calling them quiet times because a quiet time is a very narrow and, frankly, shallow thing compared with more lively kingdom practices. Quiet time's not a bad thing, especially if by quiet time you actually have an expansive definition, but it's actually a specific term developed. I'm not going to get into the history of it, but anyway. And it's interesting, isn't it, friends? Because we desperately know that we need God. That's why you're watching this service. That's why you realized that he had pursued you in love and responded in faith by receiving, by faith, union with Christ, which is salvation. We desperately know that we need God and salvation, and then we forget or choose not to or get overwhelmed by life. We have a lot of legitimate reasons to avoid kingdom practices and a lot of really terrible reasons to avoid kingdom practices. My point is the ordinary means of grace, that's a theological term for the things we get to do to respond to the pursuing love of God. Ordinary means of grace, which are how we interconnect the, tr- the good heart that God gave you with everything else, with our words, with our thoughts with our emotions, with our hands and actions, with our vocation in life, be that something you do for money or the purpose that you've built 
uh, in other ways. Volunteering, retirement, through ministry, etc. So my argument is we know we need God and we have him because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And the way that we interconnect our very self with the indwelling Holy Spirit that has given us a new heart, it's Exodus 36 and Jeremiah 31, is through kingdom practices. This is a hut at the very back of our property, built by a couple of men who are faithful, named Andy and Paul and Hunter. This is a, I know you don't want to see snow, like you're sick of snow. This is a picture I took, uh, yes, Friday, from the hut, and I was sitting in there earlier in the week. My picture from earlier in the week's terrible. My dog screwed it up. Anyway, I, my dog's a good-looking dog. That's not the problem. He screwed the picture up. And I was sitting in the hut, and I ended up asking the Lord a question. I'm not going to share with you that question. I will if you want to talk personally about it. And it was so enriching. And that's not the kind of kingdom practice I'm even talking about, but I want to be honest with you that I was resisting the whole walk talking with the Lord. I was like, I should call somebody. I should listen to music. I should exercise harder. And I quickly didn't do that because <laughs> exercise is so tiring, especially if you haven't been exercising. Anyway, friends, Let's stop avoiding kingdom practices and therein receive the interconnected healing of the Savior that he offers to us among other, this is not the only way, but among other ways through kingdom practices. And this one is not modeled in uh, the Gethsemane prayer, which means uh, olive press, by the way. Did you know that? I might have known it in the past. I relearned it this week. But when Jesus gets alone to pray, I believe he spent some of that time in silence. I'll explain that in a minute. First, we have to talk about one of the primary reasons we resist kingdom practices. That's one of the ways we resist. And here's why, friends. Do you know the purpose of your phone? Not your purpose for it. Your purpose for it is good. Its purpose for you is to get you to buy things. And the way that it wants you to buy things, the way that it gets you to buy things, is by eliciting, uh, eliciting, soliciting? Getting you to have an emotional reaction. And then as soon as you have an emotional reaction and buy something, it wants you to buy something else. And listen, friends, it's not an algorithm. It's artificial intelligence. And your phone, with respect to getting an emotional reaction out of you, is way smarter than you. And the reason I'm telling you that, because it's not in the text, like, why are we on this? Is because we're going to need to put our phones down, probably turn them off. I pray in the hayloft a few times per week. I hope that you do too. And I have to put my phone on airplane mode. Otherwise, I, and, and I've done this. I've bought at least two pens, a pair of shoes, and a watch. Like, I'm susceptible and one of the pins I'm glad I bought, I'm still not really sure about the shoes, even though I've had them four years. When I wear them, my wife says, I'm not sure you're cool enough for those shoes. And she might be right. Friends, you will need to put the device down to enjoy at least some of these kingdom practices. If you exclusively read your Bible on your device, cool. Download it, turn it on airplane mode, and read that way. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 22 and 23, we see Jesus 
getting alone to pray in the middle of the night. And the reason that I bring this up is I believe he was silent for much of that prayer. And because that prayer um, comes in between two incredible miracles, feeding of thousands and walking on water, we kind of miss that he got alone to pray and how much work he had to do to get alone to pray, teaching us again how much he knew he needed to get alone and to pray. And do you remember the circumstances of Matthew 11 and why he had to get alone to pray? It's because his older cousin, John the Baptizer, was brutally, unjustly murdered, and he needed to grieve and lament. There are things that Christians do in every season of their life, and they're among the things that actually make us look really weird to the world, especially in America, because as far as I can tell, Americans avoid grief at all costs, and Christians are not an exception to that. And yet, our heroes of the faith, who really weren't heroes except for Jesus, knew how to grieve. Paul knew how to complain for three whole seasons. You know what he complained about the thorn in his flesh? It wasn't three times. It was three seasons. It was three times, if you understand that time can mean a season. David knew how to lament and grieve. It's the most common form of psalm, and I believe that's what Jesus did on the mountain. The other, one of the other things that we do all the time is repent. <laughs> But for our purposes today, the kingdom practice, I want to encourage you towards is prayer generally, and also to learn to not be afraid of silence. What happens when you're silent? You make a to-do list. You start thinking of wild stuff that you didn't know was on your mind. Is it easy? For some of you, it's actually easy. And some of you are like, there are people that it's easy for them to be silent before the Lord? Yep. I'd say I'm, like, somewhat, but it's because I've grown in it, because I understand that it's important, because psalms like Psalm 131 have taught me to quiet myself. Psalm 131 is very short, beautiful. Sometimes I pray a psalm like this, and then I sit. I'll keep my hand on the Bible to let the words wash over me. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Every year people thank me for and give me flack for not making a sermon on Sunday about uh, what Hallmark says this day is. Here's what I want to say to you. God is nurturing and loving, and he brings his peace with you to your heart because he loves you in a mother-like way fashion. You can't read Psalm 131 and not realize how nurturing and kind and warm God is towards you. We receive that by faith in Jesus, and it is the Holy Spirit that delivers it to us.
kingdom practices of silence and of friendship. Jesus took the disciples with him. So much to say about this passage, um, and part of the reason that I outlined the sermon this way is because I'm, I feel like I'm resetting the series. I'm very thankful to Andrew Sharp and Tracy Johnson and Will Downey for preaching. None of them really took the kingdom practice angle, and that's fine. They're good preachers. Tracy's probably the, the yelliest preacher that I actually like. Anyway, so the reason I'm, so I'm trying to reset and remind us that we have these ordinary means of grace available to us that I'm calling kingdom practices because they're how we interconnect to the kingdom in our, to all of our being. Jesus asks his friends to be there. He asks them to be nearby. If you're familiar with the Bible, uh, the three versions are slightly different in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I want to say something about that briefly because if you study the Bible, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, those kinds of things... Whether you're Christian or you're thinking about it, probably. Anyone studying the Bible this much is definitely thinking about it. Some people will say, see, the versions disagree. The Bible's not trustworthy. And those statements are amazing to me. And my, my, you know, I went to the University of Missouri and I got a degree in religious studies. And, and very thankfully, we had very liberal faculty with respect to the bodily resurrection of Jesus. But they were very thoughtful, and they wouldn't say silly things like that, as an example. Um, the very fact that the versions differ is actually proof of the interconnected, reliable, and trustworthiness of the scriptures. Because they're written from different perspectives, and they were in conversation with one another. They didn't have FaceTime or Zoom, but they were conversant with one another, because they were all reliant upon the Jerusalem church until Jerusalem was destroyed. And so they were giving different perspectives. I have so many questions for Matthew. If you were asleep, how do you know what he said? Did he tell you later? Maybe that's what he, maybe that's, that was their breakfast conversation after the resurrection. Uh, Mark, so Matthew's the only disciple of Jesus to record this event directly. Remember, Mark was a student of Peter's, Luke was a second-generation Christian who interviewed with incredible thoroughness every Christian and witness to these things that he could find. And here's what else is so cool about this text. It's so interconnected to the rest of Scripture. Do you know why Jesus fully expected the disciples to stay awake? Not only because he asked them to, and because he encouraged them to pray against temptation, but because this is the Passover. And on, on this night of the Passover, you're supposed to stay up late into the night. All the disciples had probably done this their whole lives and talk about how lovely it is that God is a redemptive, rescuing God who brought the nation out of slavery on eagles' wings and gathered him to themselves to make them a kingdom of priests, a nation unto himself. I'm somewhat loosely quoting Exodus chapter 19. So these men had done this their whole life. So Jesus had not only expected them to continue doing it, even though they were about to learn how much more redemptive God is than they even realized, he also asked them to stay up. The other thing that I find so cool about this, and you can see it a little more clearly in Mark's passage, is not only that this is referencing Exodus and uh, God's redemptive purposes for his people, but this is eschatological. As soon as Jesus ascended and they began studying their Bibles, the disciples realized stay awake is about the end times. 
And every good, <laughs> every decent biblical teaching on the end times applies itself this way. Don't wait to act like a follower of Jesus. And Matthew realized as he studied the Old Testament and spoke with the rest of the disciples and spoke with Paul after Paul was a convert and spoke with Luke after Luke came to faith in Jesus, these things. I have so many questions. In Luke's passage, it says Jesus went a stone's throw away. What size is the stone? I know some people that can throw a stone a long way. You could never hear their words from there. I think it was just a, you know, he's just using a turn of phrase to saying like a little ways away. Much more importantly, how do you pray about future stuff you're not looking forward to? Is it like this? I think most of us are much more comfortable with the, but not my will, but your will, because we think that's spiritual. It's only spiritual if we start with the earthy way that Jesus prayed it. Don't try to be more spiritual than Jesus by not being honest with God before you say, not my will, but yours be done. It's an absolute adventure in missing the point to attempt to be more spiritual than the Bible or than Jesus. And if you're troubled by this passage, by Jesus' anxiety, by his um, trepidation about his mission, you're in good company. As soon as the early church formed and, and started, and by the first century was not over before they were passing around the 27 books that we have as known as the Bible. They didn't have them bound up because they didn't have printing presses. They weren't widely available because it was illegal to be a Christian in varying degrees, depending on where you were in the Mediterranean. But it's always troubled Christians how very, very, very human Jesus is. And yet it's also so comforting to us, isn't it? This is the existential credibility of Jesus of Nazareth. When we say that he can sympathize with us, this is one of the most important passages to that. When we say that he was a man of sorrows, this is not the only passage, by far, that explains that. Perhaps it's the most intense and profound one. You know, Luke was a physician, and he just, this is where he describes Jesus as uh, sweating drops of blood. And scholars are divided over whether they were actual drops of blood or he was sweating so much it looked like drops of blood. I think Luke, as a physician, was just looking for a turn of phrase to explain how the witnesses that he had interviewed about this described Jesus as profoundly troubled. So how do you pray for others? Hopefully it's the way that Jesus did. Encouraging them to resist temptation and to stay awake, which Christianly means don't wait to stop acting like a... to start. Don't wait to start acting like a follower of Christ. Being generous. Learning to not make flippant jokes. Make good jokes, not flippant jokes. Right? Learn to be kind, encouraging to one another. You pray for your friends to grow up in faith. I hope that you do. Sometimes when people tell me how they pray for me, I wonder if they also pray for themselves. I assume they do, because most of the people that talk with me about their prayers for me, I would esteem as pretty spiritually mature, but I wonder how you pray for yourself. 
in uh, 2009, I was diagnosed with cancer, and I'm good. I'm like they can't say zero percent because they're scientists, but I'm fine. The way that I prayed and asked other people to pray for me was not only immature; it was actually much closer to faithless than faithful. I was absolutely dead set on a miracle. And friends, we pray for healing, and we can expect. We are actually taught to expect healing. But there's a point where if that's all that we talk about, we're missing, we're not only missing the full humanity Jesus offers to us in prayer, we're also, I think, well, I think it's the wrong way to go. How about that? I'm just going to say it that way. We can pray lots of ways about the things in our life and others' life. And it strengthens us. In Luke, uh, he records that an angel came and ministered to Jesus, strengthened him. How are you and I strengthened? Through the Holy Spirit. That's the power of our strength. How do we receive a sense of what the Holy Spirit is actually doing in our life? These ordinary means of grace. Friends, your purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question number one. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. How? The Holy Spirit. Where's the power for that? The Holy Spirit. How do I learn to enjoy the Holy Spirit in every facet of life? There are other ways. But we certainly wouldn't include a list without prayer, which is a kingdom practice. Is prayer all we need to heal? Nope. There are so, God has given us so many avenues to heal, and the healing from your past depends upon what happened to you. And I know I talk about this a lot for some of you. I'm doing it today because I see so many Christians think that their prayers are for other people, and they miss the healing that's available to them. They don't do it on purpose. They don't get their journal out in the morning like, you know what would be really great? Is if I refused to heal. But we're, we're busy and we're stuck in some of the things that have happened to us, and so we don't <laughs> take advantage. Another kingdom practice that's healing is friendship. Friendship's really essential. I would say it's probably been the dominant healing agent in my life frankly, that I can point to. Age can help some of us, not help others. I don't really put too much stock in it um, because I've met a lot of wise people younger than me and a lot of not as wise people older than me. But the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, it is an agent that matures us. For me, I've appreciated um, counseling. There's even a, um, I even t- did a specialized form of it for, for about eight sessions that, that helped me an incredible amount. I'd be willing to talk some of you about. We go to those things carefully and wisdom and counsel of others, thoughtfulness. There are a lot of healing paths because there are a lot of ways that we are harmed by the world, our own flesh people in our lives, the evil one. But friends, 
do not neglect the ordinary means of grace available to every Christian. Do not neglect these kingdom practices. Please don't pray more spiritually than Jesus did, because it's not more spiritual. It's the ugliness, the potential ugliness that is in religion. Peace and comfort, sensed peace and comfort are available to you if you will but enjoy them. Would you pray with me? God, I praise and thank you that none of our activity, religious or otherwise, is the good news, but that you are the good news. Jesus, we thank you for your human and divine natures that we see. Help our minds grapple with it, warm our hearts to who you are, and Holy Spirit, continue to enliven our imaginations to be grasped by your love and grace. Amen.